This podcast may contain language and subject matter that some people could find offensive. Please do not listen to this podcast if easily offended. Otherwise, enjoy the show. And welcome to the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. In the show today, I'll be running down all of the action from our most recent live show from Watlington, where we had action announcements and all things pro wrestling. As always, I'm your host for the show. My name is Patrick Vincent Crown, aka PVC, and I'm flying solo today on the podcast. Unfortunately, my good buddy, tag team partner, and usual co-host is missing in action. But don't worry, he'll be back very soon to give you the regular Jimmy Star treatment. Before I get into chatting about Watlington, I need to remind you that Falling Star Wrestling is keeping very busy this month, with two more shows to go, starting off with Fight Night at the Wesleyan Sports and Social Club this Saturday. Doors open at 6.30, with the show kicking off at 7.30pm. If you've yet to join us at Westland before, well, now is the time, as the atmosphere is always electric for Fight Night. One week after, Falling Star Wrestling will be invading Fosdyke for the first time ever. Join us as we roll out the British wrestling legends with Johnny Storm Wrestling and take in a training session beforehand. And then we have British wrestling legend Danny Boy Collins making an appearance. He'll step foot into a wrestling ring for the first time in around a decade. Come find out what Danny Boy has to say. That's FSW and Fosdyke on Saturday 25th of March 2023. For more information and all the dates, check out Falling Star Wrestling on Facebook. Okay, that's enough with the preamble. Let's get into the meat and bones. Let's get into the action and let's talk about Falling Star Wrestling at Watlington. Falling Star Wrestling made a long-awaited return to the Watlington Village Hall this past Sunday afternoon. I was there to make an announcement, which we'll get into very shortly, and we also had six action-packed matches with two FSW titles on the line. I'm flying solo today, so I'll do my best to cover all the action, all the stories, and all the intrigue from this past Sunday. So... Without further ado, we began the afternoon's action with the hated, the reviled, the inevitable, the unstoppable Jaden Scar. Jaden walked down to the ring and was met inside by MC Danny Fear, referee Andy Stone and all of the people on the outside who had their thumbs down. They were jeering, they were booing, they were hissing, they were chanting that Jaden Scar is a Muppet. But of course, Jaden Scar did not care. He took in all the hatred of the fans and fed off of it, thriving because of that hatred. He grabs the microphone, people calling him boring even before he said anything. He told the people that he's not in the mood for their games or their tricks because it was a Sunday. He also said that he could stand in the ring for as long as he wanted as he was opening up the show and nobody in the back was going to come out and tell him otherwise. He knew where the people were from, mentioning Kings Lynn and Wizbeach and calling them absolute messes although I'm quite unclear as what he meant by that I'm sure it was a dig I'm sure it's quite derogatory towards our fans there he also reminded the people of Watlington about the last time that he was here how the room was packed out for Jaden Scar's last match and he said that he's still here in Falling Star Wrestling much to the chagrin of the audience of course we remember what happened in Watlington with Jaden's last match the people came down 
his best friend at the time there, Jack Landers, came down to the ring and Jaden Scar turned his back on his best friend and battered him with a steel chair. We're still feeling the remnants from that turn at Watlington, but let's not dwell in the past. The audience want him to get on with it. They boo him and Jaden asks them if they, if he's boring them, which was a resounding yes, but he said, good. Jaden said that he came here this afternoon to put out a challenge to anyone in the Falling Star Wrestling Academy, but nobody was willing to step up because Jaden Scar is next level. He then asked the boys in the back who is man enough to take on his open challenge, who has the balls, the gall, the stones to take on the former Falling Star Wrestling heavyweight champion Jaden Scar. MC Danny Fear introduces the next challenger as we hear the popular music of Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer. As young Ollie Cole makes his way down to the ring, the audience clap their hands expecting him to do his spectacular entrance, which he does. He vaults over the top rope, he spins around, he shows out to the crowd. However, Jaden Scar was waiting there for him, not waiting for the bell or any kind of sportsmanship. Jaden just reels his right boot directly into the face of Lightning Ollie Cole as he entered the ring. And then Jaden continues to beat on Ollie Cole, sending him outside, running him directly into the kitchen. Ollie, he just had no chance at this stage. And Jaden Scar says, I'm not in the mood anymore. Jaden, of course, is not paid by the hour nor by the minute. He wants to finish this match quickly and shows his dominance and fierceness. He rolls Ollie Cole back into the ring and the referee asks Cole if he can continue, to which he responds with a resounding yes. The bell rings and uh, Jaden Scar enters the ring like a shark smelling blood, kicking and punching Ollie Cole in the corner, grabbing a suplex and nailing him with force. Cole kicks out. The audience start getting behind him, wanting Ollie Cole to fight back and take down Jaden Scar. Jaden delivers body shots and jaw jacks with the crowd but they tell him he talks too much which I agree he does. Cole ducks a line and delivers a big front kick to Jaden Scar. Cole charges at Jaden in the corner with a jumping forearm and goes up to the second rope to deliver the 10 heads. As he reels back for the 10th head, Jaden pushes him off and turns his back on Ollie Cole. Cole takes advantage and delivers a big front drop kick causing Jaden to smash into the corner turnbuckle there. Cole starts to ascend to the top rope, but Jaden falls backwards onto the rope, causing Cole to crotch himself on the top rope and land unceremoniously in the bottom corner there. Jaden then follows up with a jumping, leaping drop kick right into Ollie Cole's face, neck and cheeks. He drags Cole into the middle of the ring, goes for the pinfall, but Cole kicks out at two. He's still in this match. Ollie Cole then tries to get some respite on the outside by hanging his head over the ropes and trying to catch his breath. However, Jaden drapes his leg over Cole's neck and head, taking all of the wind and all of the air out of Ollie Cole and continuing to beat him. Ollie Cole tries to fight back with a few shots to the gut and a one to the head, but Jaden just kicks him across the chest, causing him to roll around in pain on the canvas. Jaden then brings Cole into the middle of the ring and looks like he's going to hook in the pedigree, hooking in one arm, hooking in the other one, looking to end this match early. Cole then switches out and lands a massive jumping, twisting kick right into Jaden's sky. 
Snarl's face. He tries to follow up with the Hurricanrana, but Jaden just slams him down into the mat with a furious powerbomb. Ollie Cole kicks out at two, but then Jaden transitions beautifully into the double leg Boston Crab submission that bends Ollie Cole in half. He screams, he scrapes, he tries to reach the bottom rope to break the hole, but Jaden just drags him towards the middle of the ring and just sits down on Ollie Cole's lower back. The crowd cheer Ollie Cole on, they're trying to get behind him, and he eventually reaches the bottom rope, causing Jaden Scar to break the hold, and this match still continues here at Watlington. Jaden Scar thought he had it in the bag. He removes his vest, and he puts Ollie Cole in the corner. He lands a big knee, goes for it again. Ollie Cole flips him up and to the outside, but Jaden Scar grabs the head of Ollie Cole and runs him into the buckle with an assisted kick at the same time. Jaden Scar ascends up to the top rope, goes for the top rope knee, but Cole dodges and then goes for the clothesline, causing both men to collide into each other at 100 miles an hour. They both take each other out and the referee starts his count. The referee gets to seven. Both men are up. Cole comes in with a couple of big clotheslines, taking Jaden Scar down to the mat. Scar throws one and Ollie hits a massive superkick in retaliation, getting Jaden Scar back from that earlier superkick from before the bell went off there. Ollie Cole hits the jumping, spinning kick from the corner to corner and then Scar lands prone in the position for the 619. Ollie Cole tunes up the band and sets up for the 619. He hits the ropes. He swings through. He nails Jaden Scar in the face with both feet, but can he follow up? Ollie Cole heads to the top rope looking for that patented frog splash. He jumps high into the air and nails the big five-star frog splash, but he's just too beaten down to get the cover straight away. He manages to drape his arm over and get the cover, but Jaden Scar kicks out in the nick of time. The match continues and this opening bout rages on. Ollie Cole almost got a massive upset win. A win over the former two-time Falling Star Wrestling Heavyweight Champion would have catapulted him into infamy in Falling Star Wrestling, but it wasn't meant to be, and Ollie Cole still looks worse for wear as he lines up Jaden Scar for another move, possibly another super kick. He misses and gets sideswiped by Jaden Scar, who follows up with a kick of his own. He hits the ropes, and Ollie Cole rolls through, but he's met with a disaster kick that absolutely takes his head off. Jaden Scar goes for the pin and it's only a two count. Ollie Cole is still in this and the audience erupt with happiness. Jaden Scar doesn't know what to do. He's exhausted all of his moves apart from one. He removes the wrist tape and prepares for the boom. The cross-faced chicken wing. Ollie Cole can't escape and he is locked into this hold. Jaden Scar grapevines the legs, takes it to the ground. He gets the legs around Ollie Cole and unfortunately Ollie has no other option but to tap out in the middle of the ring, Jaden Scar will not relinquish the hold, and the referee tries his tries his best to pry Jaden Scar off of Ollie Cole, who's just lying motionless in the middle of the ring. And Jaden Scar's music rings out in the Watlington Village Hall, but it's barely audible because the crowd are just booing him and telling him he sucks. Jaden Scar arrogantly turns around to the referee and says, Raise my hand. I'm the winner. He poses in front of the crowd, and they show Jaden Scar exactly what they think of him, which it isn't a lot. Now, my thoughts are, I thought this was a great way to open up the show at Wallington. It was a good way to get the crowd into things, especially with Ollie, who's kind of this popular wrestler, this high-flying, really exciting wrestler at the moment, and Jaden Scar, of course, one of the top heels within Falling Star Wrestling. I really liked the little promo at the beginning. It was a very cheap way to get the crowd into it. However, you know, the crowd at Wallington, they took a little bit of time to warm up. They were 
quite quiet throughout the entire show. I don't know whether it's because it was a Sunday afternoon, but they were there for most of it. It was just there wasn't that kind of intense atmosphere that we're used to at some of our shows, whether they're happening on a Saturday evening, you know, somebody gets a, a few pints in them. It kind of liberates them a little bit. But, you know, there wasn't that joint effort from everybody there. So it felt a little bit lackluster and it wasn't really down to the wrestlers because this was a common theme throughout the show. Everybody put in 100% for this crowd, but there wasn't really the crowd there to get into it. So unfortunately, they didn't get that reaction, which they would have really liked. And, you know, had this match gone on at a Westlin, I'm sure they would have got a raucous applause or, you know, a shower of booze in the case of Jaden Scar there. But I thought the guys did an excellent job. I love the start. I thought it was great. It's sort of Ollie Cole's complete naivety when he tried to show off in front of his in front of the crowd. It was kind of funny. He did his little magnificent spinning vault into the ring and then boom, he was just met with that super kick from Jaden Scar. It was right on the money. I've seen the clip a few times. I saw it on Instagram. I saw it just after it happened. I watched it again before reviewing this match. And you couldn't have got more spot on with that super kick from Jaden Scar. It was just, it was mad. You could just see that right foot, the heel of Jaden Scar, just smash Ollie Cole in the side of the face. And it was almost from that point on, Jaden Scar was in complete control of this match. There were obviously moments of fire from Ollie Cole, which was good. He's starting to get a few nice little moves in there. He's got the 619, the frog splash, nice little couple of kicks in there. I think some of the moves need to be worked on just a little bit, especially with the comeback with the clotheslines. I know he's doing the, the kind of jumping clotheslines to make himself stand out from other wrestlers. They just need tweaking a little bit. Maybe he just needs to lay him in a little bit more, make a little bit more contact because it doesn't look as impressive as it maybe could be. I'm thinking of a Shawn Michaels when I think about, you know, his kind of comeback when he would just, you know, leap and fire his body into the other person and it looks like he's made a massive amount of contact whereas I'm still feeling with Ollie Cole, he's just kind of running and then they're both falling to the ground. I want to see that Ollie Cole is the, the catalyst for making that superstar bump on the ground. But Ollie is still very, very young in his career in Falling Star Wrestling. He's got a lot to learn, but he's also got so much room to grow. And I think this match is going to really help him as well. Going up against a major wrestler, a major heel like Jaden Scar is a big deal. Obviously, Jaden Scar is a tremendous athlete. He's also a tremendous heel and he's got so much experience to give Ollie Cole. And I'm sure that Ollie learned a lot from this match. Jaden, as always, gets his stuff in for Ollie Cole to have a nice comeback in there, get a real nice shine at the end, hit that frog splash. Almost looked like he was going to win. That was a really cool thing as well. I, the crossface chicken wing, I thought that was great as well. Jaden Scar locked that in. People are starting to become aware that as soon as that is locked in, especially when he takes it down to the ground, grapevines those legs around the person. That's all she wrote as well. He's starting to signal it now, stalking up behind the person. And then he just hits that boom, locks in the crossface chicken wing. And then, yeah, there's nowhere to go. Um, I like the fire from Jaden Scar as well. I thought he was great throughout this entire match. And I don't, you know, think in normal circumstances, say in, in a Westland show or somewhere other, I don't think he'd be jaw jacking with the crowd as much. But I think he 
He knew as a professional, you go out there, you feel the crowd, and if they're not quite there with you or they're not making the exact noise that you really want them to, you just have to give them a little bit more. So this was kind of Jade Nascar taking a, taking a little step back from being vicious in the ring and then just focusing on that crowd any opportunity he could. He was standing there, he was posing, he was making these little witty little comments and stuff. So I thought that was a really, really good thing. He, he probably wouldn't have needed to do the promo if it was, say, a Westland show, say, a crowd that was there and raucous and stuff like that. But I thought the promo was great. And I think they just went out there and got over like they got over a really really good match in front of this kind of not lackluster crowd it wasn't a lackluster reaction it was people were there for the match they watched the match they wanted ollie to win so much but you know when a heel goes over in the first match there's always that little bit of ooh, you get that kind of sinking reaction but <laughs> Jaden scar just let people know in watlington that he is the biggest asshole in the room right now. And he needed to make that crowd and show them that <laughs> I'm here to stay. This is my character and I'm just going to do what I want in Falling Star Wrestling. He's got such arrogance and people are really starting to get behind this, this kind of new Jaden Scar character. I say new, I mean, you know, we were in Watlington, I don't know how many months ago, so it's not exactly a new character, but it's still tweaking. It's still evolving and you know there wasn't really a moment in the match where the match was completely dead people were really behind ollie cole and there wasn't really a moment where ollie cole was dead but he was selling quite a lot but you know when he got put in that cross-faced chicken wing i think you know that was all she wrote i think had ollie gone over this would have been a major upset if he had won however i think it was a bit inevitable, wasn't it? Jaden Scott isn't on absolute tear in Falling Star Wrestling right now. And I don't know who's going to be able to stop him. I thought Ollie Cole stood a quite a good chance, a very good chance, but it wasn't supposed to be on this Sunday afternoon in Watlington. And of course, we've still got something bubbling on the back burner. We know what's happening with Jack Landers at the moment. He is going on his own little story and, you know, he's put Jaden Scar to the side, but each victory that Jaden Scar has in Falling Star Wrestling, you can tell that he's just imagining Jack as the other person, especially when he locks in that cross-faced chicken wing. He's just putting it in for good measure and just wrenching it. And you can imagine in the in the madness going on in Jaden Scar's brain, he's just thinking that if this is Jack, I'm going to make him tap. We, we knew what happened at Lynn Sport when Jack's mum had to throw in the towel. If I do that again, if I grapevine the legs around him, if I get him in the middle of the ring... Jack Landers is going to have no other option but to tap or pass out. And then at that moment, Jaden Scar can just stand in front of the crowd and just believe that he is the best in the company right now. And if he could get that victory over Jack Landers, I'm sure that other people would see it that way as well. But that, of course, remains to be seen. And of course, we're going to talk about Jack Landers later on in the show. But great way to open up Watlington then. We went into match number two, or should I say segment number two. Next to come down to the ring was yours truly, me, PVC. I had an announcement. Uh, I made it on the Falling Star Wrestling podcast last week. Well, it was sort of an announcement that I was going to make an announcement. And then it went out on Facebook. So there was the announcement of the announcement of the announcement. But then I came down for the announcement at Watlington, and I was going to let people know what's going on with me, what's going on with the Disaster Artist, and also what's going on with the Sound Honorary Invitational Tournament. So, 
I made my way down to the ring with Jimmy Starr accompanying me. The announcement was quite short, quite sharp, quite simple and to the point. I came down to the ring and I had my arm in a brace and basically I let the audience know that I'm injured. I had a match with Robbie Lewis two weeks ago at West Lynn and suffered an injury. What I didn't get into in the promo, and this was kind of my fault, I kind of got caught up in the situation. I was going through what I was going to say in the back and a lot of things were, were going through in my mind. And one of them was, how am I going to break this to the people? What am I going to say? How am I going to sort of figure out what we're going to do with this tournament? I forgot to tell people that I actually have suffered a fracture of my glenoid bone in the shoulder, which means I'm going to be out for a number of weeks. I don't quite know how long that's going to be. You know, the doctors gave me a certain amount of time, but they were basically just saying you need to not do any sports and not do any heavy lifting for a number of weeks until you can basically lift your shoulder back up because that's the only issue with it right now is that I've got movement in the shoulder. I just can't sort of lift up my arm. I find it very difficult to tie my hair or scratch my back and things like that. But luckily it's in my left hand and left arm and I'm predominantly right-handed so I can do most of the stuff that I need to do on a day-to-day -day basis apart from wrestle, which is, which is really, really awful. Um, it couldn't have come at a worse time because... Me and Jimmy, we've been trying, we've been fighting as much as we can to try and get our hands on the Falling Star Wrestling Tag Team Championships. And we've been doing it ever since we formed the Disaster Artist, which is probably coming up for two years now. We've had multiple chances at those tag team titles. And each time we've either been cheated or come up short or there's been some sort of shenanigans or whatever. And we thought that this tournament was going to be the chance where we could make it from the bottom, make it all the way to the top and possibly capture those tag team championships. So as I'm making my announcement about the announcement, which is me being injured and then going on to address the Sound Honorary Invitational Tournament, some music gets hit. It was the music of Wakefield's Wrestling Empire and Sean Stone and Robbie Lewis. They come out, they come down to the ring and they, they basically ruin my announcement and they tell me what they thought of my injury. Sean Stone tells the music man to cut the music as he interrupts PVC and says, boo-hoo, PVC, the wish.com AJ Styles is injured and then he just cackles like a little kid, like a sniveling little brat, saying it was all down to his friend, the Destroyer. The difference maker, Robbie Lewis, he made a statement that because I'm injured, that I should and have to forfeit from the sound honorary invitational tournament. But of course, Sean Stone doesn't make the rules. Robbie Lewis doesn't make the rules. Not even Jimmy Starr makes the rules around here at the moment. It's down to the commissioner and Falling Star Wrestling management to tell us what needs to go on. So with the disaster artist potentially out of the tournament, that means, you know, it could be a bit more of a smooth ride for Wakefield's Wrestling Empire. As Sean Stone then said, we're going to make our way through the sound honorary, 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 honorary invitational tournament. He couldn't spit his words out. I think maybe he was a bit nervous, a bit intimidated from, you know, being across the ring with two pros like Jimmy Starr and myself. He just got a little bit flustered, bless him. So I cut him off at that point and said, I know it's not every week that you come out and, you know, you can't spit out your words and you just have to let people know what you're talking about. It's not like you appear on a podcast every other week and talk about wrestling and falling star wrestling. Then Sean Stone said, well, does anybody actually listen to your podcast? Well, I guess that's the question right now, isn't it? Like, 
If you're listening to the podcast right now, then yes, the answer is people do listen to the podcast. If if you're not listening, then you're not hearing this. So I guess it's just me in my spare room just talking to myself. But I think I think people listen to the podcast, right? It's not just me and Jimmy just talking to each other on, on a weekly basis about wrestling, is it? Anyway, Jimmy Starr then grabs the microphone and says the announcement was not that we're bowing out of the tournament. The announcement is that I am indeed injured. Jimmy Starr informs the audience that we have a deadline. We have until April 15th, which is our April fight night, to answer the call in the semifinals of the Sound Honorary Invitational Tournament against the BCB. Hey, Sean, did you see how I said honorary there? It's quite easy to say, the Sound Honorary Invitational Tournament against the BCB. However... We don't know how long it's going to take for me and my shoulder to get better. So we're not out of anything just yet. Jimmy Starr then goes on to say that if we get to the 15th and I can't wrestle and the doctors have not cleared me to wrestle, then unfortunately the disaster artist will have to bow out of the tournament. But until that day, Jimmy goes on to say that he is sick and tired of getting cheated out of the titles, getting cheated out of every angle. Any opportunity that disaster artists get is always taken away from us by people looking to take us down. Jimmy Starr doesn't care about the tournament at the moment. All he cares is about getting some revenge for his buddy PVC. And that revenge is coming in the way of facing Robbie Lewis right here, right now in the middle of the ring in front of all of these people in Watlington. And after Jimmy Starr is done with Robbie Lewis, Robbie won't be fit to wrestle tomorrow or in the next edition of the Sound Honorary Invitational Tournament. Jimmy gets the crowd involved and then gets them behind him. Sean Stone accepts the match on behalf of Robbie Lewis. And then Jimmy Starr says, in the nicest possible way, PVC, I don't actually want you in the middle of the ring right now. And I don't actually want you ringside either because... There are two of them on the outside and we know what kind of tactics they use and kind of tactics that they have up their sleeves. They have very underhanded tactics and because I'm injured, we don't want the Wakefield Wrestling Empire to take advantage of me yet again and further injure me. So I need to go to the back, get ready, fit and healthy for the 15th and uh, Jimmy Starr is happy to take on these two quote unquote tossers in the ring tonight and uh, after shaking the hand of my good friend Jimmy Starr I decide to take his advice I mean it's very smart advice I didn't want to leave him out there by himself with Sean Stone and Robbie Lewis but I knew what I had to do so unfortunately I left the ring and left Jimmy to take on these two idiots Robbie Lewis then enters the ring, but Jimmy Starr knew that he was creeping up behind him. He starts stomping on him. As soon as he got into the ring, Robbie Lewis cowers in the corner and Jimmy follows up with a couple of shots to the gut and a punch to the face. He then chokes Robbie Lewis in the corner and then the referee has no option but to count him out. Then the pair of them just start choking each other out on the ropes, leaving the referee confused. He can't split them up. There's no way. So he just kind of sandwiches himself in between these two behemoths, Jimmy Starr and Robbie Lewis. The referee manages to get between them and split them up. But Robbie Lewis then comes in with a big right hand, taking Jimmy Starr to the corner. And then he starts 
choking Jimmy Starr with both his hands as well. Jimmy then turns around and returns with a rebuttal, putting both of his hands on Robbie Lewis, and then they just start choking each other out in the middle of the ring again. The referee looks confused again, flummoxed, flabbergasted, and bamboozled. He manages to separate them uh, rather than go for the disqualification. Jimmy Starr then grabs a massive headlock on Robbie Lewis to take control of this match and take the pace down just a little bit. Robbie Lewis sends Jimmy off the ropes, and then they meet in the middle of the ring, the two powerhouses crashing into each other with neither man taking a bump. Robbie then asked Jimmy to try again. They collide in the middle of the ring once again, but neither man can take full advantage of this. As Jimmy clatters into Robbie Lewis, he starts to hold his shoulder, and this is something that we didn't want. Another member of the disaster artist with a potential shoulder injury at the moment. So then Jimmy Starr hits the ropes again. Robbie Lewis thought he was going to go for the check, but Jimmy comes in with a giant jumping clothesline, taking Robbie Lewis off of his feet. Jimmy then goes for the pinfall, but he's only able to get the two count and Robbie Lewis retreats to the corner. Jimmy follows up with another punch to the forehead and Robbie Lewis is reeling. Jimmy then grabs the headlock and runs the forehead of Robbie Lewis into the mat with a running bulldog. Goes for another pin, but Robbie Lewis still kicks out. He's not worn down enough to get the win in this second match here at Wellington. Jimmy Starr tries to get the crowd involved. They're clapping along for another move, but Robbie Lewis caught Jimmy Starr and then plunged him into the mat with a sidewalk slam. But Sean Stone on the outside asking the referee to count faster. It seems like the only way that these guys can win is with a crooked referee, which of course the Empire is not shy of doing. Robbie Lewis shook off the early attacks by Jimmy Starr and then goes in for the attack on Jimmy Starr's shoulder. Robbie Lewis twists the arm of Jimmy Starr around the ropes and strikes the shoulder. Jimmy Starr lays on the canvas, writhing in pain. Robbie Lewis puts his foot on top of him with a cocky pin, but Jimmy Starr was not going to give up that easily. He kicks out at two and then Robbie Lewis grabs the arm again, spinning around in a step over arm hold and then wrenching the right arm back. Robbie Lewis has twisted Jimmy Starr into a pretzel and he cannot move. The referee goes down to see if Jimmy Starr is going to quit, but... Of course, my good buddy Jimmy Starr, fellow disaster artist, does not quit. The audience start to get behind Jimmy Starr, who manages to reverse this into a giant hip toss, sending Robbie Lewis flying across the ring. Lewis is reeling as Jimmy Starr crouches in the corner and then just charges at him, smashing him with a giant spear. Robbie Lewis splats into the mat but he's too close to the ropes. He grabs the rope to break the hold. Robbie then jumps up and stalks Jimmy from behind, going for the discus clothesline, but Jimmy ducks. Jimmy hits the star KO and drapes his arm over Robbie Lewis but still only able to get the two count. Robbie Lewis kicks out on the outside. Sean Stone has stolen a crutch. What's he going to do? He's just kind of holding that crutch just out of the view of referee, just out of the view of Jimmy Starr. So Jimmy Starr tries to get the energy and enthusiasm to try and put Robbie Lewis away. He's already tried two massive moves, the spear and the star KO. He goes for the star KO again, but Robbie Lewis reverses this into that reverse DDT with the clothesline over the top, the nightmare. Robbie Lewis then crumples to the mat. He can't quite get his arm over for the pinfall. Both men are exhausted on the ground. The referee starts his count. He gets to seven. They start stirring and Sean Stone passes the crutch to Robbie Lewis. The referee is distracted. He goes over to find out what's happening with Sean Stone. Robbie Lewis looks like he's going to wail on Jimmy Starr with that crutch. Jimmy Starr turns around, kicks Robbie Lewis in the groin and then the crutch comes tumbling to the ground. The referee turns around and sees that Jimmy Starr is holding the crutch. Robbie Lewis is killed over in the middle of the ring looking like he's just been hit with said crutch 
but he doesn't know what happened. The audience knows what's happened, but the referee has no idea. He has no choice but to call for the disqualification as he thinks that Jimmy Starr has just hit Robbie Lewis with the crutch. Robbie Lewis puts his hands in the air and gloats as he's picked up a DQ win against Jimmy Starr. But of course... You don't turn your back on Jimmy Starr, who's got a crutch in his hand, as he just wails Robbie Lewis across the back. And at this point, Jimmy Starr doesn't care whether he's won, whether he's lost. He just wants to avenge his fallen friend, PVC, and holds the crutch up high in the middle of the ring. Robbie Lewis may be the winner here by disqualification, but the way that he's limping out and needing to be carried out by Sean Stone, he sure doesn't look like the winner. Now... When we talk about the match and my thoughts on the match, I thought it was pretty decent for what it was. It was kind of a big man, big man match with slower moves like checks, clotheslines and chokes and things like that. I thought Robbie Lewis looked pretty good when he got the heat on Jimmy Starr, especially with that sidewalk slam. It's a nice move that Robbie's adding into his arsenal. He was also working on Jimmy's shoulder, which was really smart considering Robbie injured my shoulder two weeks ago. And he's also introduced that new submission move that's sort of the half Mahastro cradle ringing the arm back there. He rang Jimmy's arm across the ropes, used other tactics like that. So it's kind of smart psychology. They're thinking about the storyline as a whole, what's happened before, what's going to happen again. And then, yeah, at one point, they just kind of smashed into each other for a bit. Jimmy hits the big spear. Then the star KO. There was a bit of shenanigans at the end. And... You know, we kind of all went home happy. However, this wasn't the result that everybody wanted because they wanted Jimmy Starr to win. Robbie Lewis technically won by disqualification. But I don't think it really mattered because Jimmy got the one back on by whacking Robbie across the back with a crutch. So that was nice. Um, he was hoping to get some revenge for PVC and possibly take out a member of Wakefield's Wrestling Empire from the Sound Honorary Invitational Tag Team Tournament. Unfortunately, Robbie Lewis escaped with just one whack across the back and Jimmy was left in the middle of the ring pleading with the referee. So overall, I don't really have many further opinions on the match. The segment was kind of all based around my announcement, which wasn't really a major announcement. I think people thought it was going to be more than it was. People were coming up to me afterwards saying, are you really, really injured? And I was like, yeah, I got the x-rays like a legit have fractured my shoulder and then people are like oh we thought you were gonna like either quit wrestling or you were gonna turn on jimmy or it's gonna be the end of the disaster eyes it was like well not really it was kind of an announcement but it wasn't like a super major announcement it was just literally to tell people that i'm injured with a broken shoulder i'll be out for a number of weeks we it was to address the tournament which is kind of on hold until the 15th of of april and then of course it was a way to, for us to get into a match with Jimmy and Robbie. Jimmy, of course, being my valiant hero, defending my honour, which was lovely. Although, of course, I wished I could have been out there. It made sense for me to stay out of the match since I've got a broken shoulder. If I did get involved and, you know, Sean Stone tried to take me out, trip me over, hit me with that crutch, that could have added another, who knows, two, four, six weeks, two months, three months on top of what I've already got to recover. So Jimmy was right. Even though I argued and detested it, I knew that some sort of stupid tactics were going to go down, and of course they did. Sean Stone grabbed that crutch, distracted the referee, handed it to Robbie Lewis. But for me, my focus is now on rehab, rest, relaxation, getting my shoulder back in action in hopes of getting back for the 15th of April at West Lynn. If, if I and we can achieve that, then hopefully we're going to make it back into the tournament, make it into that semi-final match against the BCB, and then if we can then go on and beat the BCB, they will make it to the finals. However, 
I'm not going to count my chickens before they hatch. I don't want to go out there prematurely and hurt myself over again because at that stage it would be game over. So for me, I'll be taking it one day, one week, one month at a time. We'll see where we're at on the 15th of April. I guess it remains to be seen whether the disaster artists will be go through to the next round or whether we'll just have to bow out of the tournament and I guess let the BCB advance to the finals. It's, I guess it's something to look out for in Falling Star Wrestling right now. And uh, on the heels of that second match where we had a disqualification finish, the third match in Watlington, just before the interval, was our scheduled no disqualification match because we had a disqualification in the previous match. But in this match, anything goes. No disqualifications, weapons are allowed. There are no count outs. The match needs to be settled in the middle of the ring by pinfall or submission. The first person to come out to this match is the rock star and the leader of the sound, George Rashwood. He is flanked by his tag team championship partner, Bobby Adams. Even if Bobby Adams decides to stay at ringside, he, I guess, can legally get involved in this match and the referee can say nothing about it. Mitch Basher, on the other hand, has come down with an insurance policy in the form of a thick wooden baseball bat with his fists taped and ready to fight. But unfortunately, he is not flagged by his tag team partner, Crowley, the creature from the swamp. So it's looking right about now that Mitch Basher is going to have to take on both members of the sound. Mitch Basher grabs the microphone and says, are you guys ready for me to go medieval on this greasy toss pot? The audience in attendance absolutely love that and they are definitely ready for Mitch Basher to take on George Rashwood. The referee rings the bell, the pair circle and George Rashwood immediately runs outside and runs around the ring trying to escape the fury of Mitch Basher. He rolls back into the ring and starts stomping on Basher. However, Basher's power takes over as he lifts Rashwood up and charges him into the corner, hitting him with some shoulder tackles. Then he bashes Rashwood in the belly with a few shots and then one round the face. Bobby Adams slips into the ring but Basher moves out of the way, causing Adams to crash into Rashwood, who then falls onto Adams's nether regions. The audience love this. Mitch Basher then grabs the hair of George Rashwood and rails him with a giant headbutt inside the ring. He removes the bandana of George Rashwood and legally chokes him in the middle of the ring. The referee asks George Rashwood if he wants to quit, but Rashwood refuses. Mitch Basher then works over Rashwood in the ring and goes to the corner, grabs one of the sounds, tag team championship belts, raises it in the air to show the people what he is missing. Of course, Mitch Basher, a former tag team champion, Mitch Basher wants to get those belts back, but first he has to go through George Rashwood in this no DQ match. Rashwood then reverses a whip into the corner and follows it up with a running forearm. Bobby Adams is on the outside looking under the ring to find any weaponry or toys to introduce into this match. Even though it's a no disqualification match, there haven't been any weapons yet aside from a few chokes and George Rashwood being choked by his own bandana. Basher reverses an Irish whip, but Rashwood escapes and evades the Basher as he crashes into the corner. Rashwood follows up with a running forearm and then dumps Basher onto the mat. Basher sees Bobby Adams creeping up behind him and then lays him out with a right hand and grabs the steel chair that happens to be on the outside. Rashwood is in the middle of the ring and he looks like he's going to jump to the outside onto Mitch Basher, but Basher turns around and clatters Rashwood with a steel chair in the head. He hits Adams with a chair for good measure and Rashwood is left prone on the outside. 
uh, hanging between the top and middle ropes. Basher then climbs up to the apron and drops a big leg across Rashwood's draping body. He then picks up the steel chair and crashes it across Rashwood's back. Adams looks like he wants to get involved, but he doesn't want any of that while Basher is going crazy with a steel chair on the outside. Basher then turns his back on Adams and Adams seizes his moment to strike and nails Basher from behind. It looks like Adams and Rashwood the Sound are in full control right now. Rashwood picks up a steel chair and smashes it across the back of Basher who writhes in pain on the outside. Rashwood puts two fingers up to his ear and says, you're not cheering now, are you, Watlington? Basher's head then goes into the ring post. Rashwood then tries to light up Basher as he's leaned up against the post, but Basher evades and George Rashwood crashes his hand into the post and then turns around into a big knife edge chop from Mitch Basher who finds a random chair trolley, headbutts Rashwood and uh, then starts wheeling George Rashwood around the around the hall in this chair trolley type thing. The Falling Star Wrestling audience are delighted as Mitch Basher wheels him around and invites the Falling Star Wrestling audience to take shots at George Rashwood. They obviously oblige. They slap George Rashwood across the belly and chest. Rashwood is being carried around the Watlington Village Hall in this chair and trolley, almost like he's in a wheelchair. And I'm sure Mitch Basher would love to put Rashwood in a wheelchair. Bobby Adams tries to help out Rashwood but he gets met with forearms and kicks by Basher. Basher then runs Adam's head into the post and someone else from the crowd then lights up George Rashwood's chest. People are just queuing up to slap Rashwood across the chest. I mean, it, it makes sense. He's just sat there like a little child in a high chair being slapped and chomped by the audience. It's fantastic. Mitch Basher tries to suplex George Rashwood on the outside, but he's saved again by his good buddy and tag team partner Bobby Adams, who helps to systematically take down Mitch Basher. They work on him with punches and kicks outside of the ring, and then they perform a suplex on the unforgiving wooden floor. Basher writhes in pain on the floor while Rashford jumps up and cackles like an idiot, saying that he's just killed Mitch Basher. The audience chants for Mitch Basher, who tries to get back into the match. He takes out Bobby Adams on the outside and goes after Rashford, who appears to be searching for toys underneath the ring. As Mitch Basher moves in to claim George Rashwood, Rashwood takes the low road and punches him in the balls, causing Mitch Basher to go down holding his testicles. George Rashwood calls for Bobby Adams to get some more toys and lays right hands into Mitch Basher's head as he mounts on top of him. Mitch punches George and then Bobby throws in two ladders that were used in a previous tag team TLC match at Linsport last year. I think these guys just love ladders and chairs and stuff like that, so they're being thrown into the ring as uh, Bobby Adams also throws in a Singapore cane kendo stick type thing, making the match even more hardcore. George Rashwood whips and slashes Mitch Bash's back with the kendo stick and then chokes him in front of the Falling Star Wrestling audience, of course. There are no DQs in this match. George Rashwood bundles Mitch Basher into the corner and lays a ladder across him and across the middle ropes, trapping him in there. Bobby Adams then lays right arms into Mitch Basher, holding his arms down so he can't move while George Rashwood climbs up to the top rope and jumps to deliver a double foot stomp onto Mitch Basher's exposed back. Rashwood and Adams then grab the same ladder and prop it up into the corner. Rashwood sends Mitch Basher into the corner. He hits the ladder hard. Rashwood then charges from 
from one corner to the other for a cannonball, but Mitch Basher moves out of the way. And then Basher turns around and hits a running knee on George Rashwood and then one on Bobby Adams for good measure. And then Mitch Basher picks up George Rashwood in the middle of the ring for a double underhook butterfly suplex. Basher then turns his attention to Bobby Adams, who's on the outside just begging away like a little bitch. He hits him with right hands and goes to town on him on the outside, then rams him with a suplex on the same unforgiving wooden floor that Basher was slammed on earlier. Rashwood is still lying prone in the middle of the ring. Mitch Basher then has a second or third wind. He clasps George Rashwood and tries for the sister Abigail, but Rashwood reverses and hits the X-Factor, goes for the pin. Will this be the first time that Mitch Basher has been pinned in over a year? No, Mitch Basher kicks out, leaving George Rashwood in disbelief. He thought he'd made history in this no DQ match, but it wasn't meant to be. George Rashwood then grabs a steel chair and sets it up in the middle of the ring. Is he going to have a little rest? Is he going to sit down? Nope. He grabs the face of Mitch Basher and slams it into the chair in the middle of the ring. George Rashwood charges then at Mitch Basher, who moves out of the way, grabs the sister Abigail, spins Rashwood around, and his face goes flying into the steel chair and George Rashwood is not getting up from that one. Mitch Basher gets the pin. One, two, three. Bobby Adams is still prone on the outside. He's not getting up. He tries to slide in to break up the pin, but he was much too late. Mitch Basher takes home the win in this no DQ match. George Rashwood was not able to pin the shoulders of Mitch Basher to the mat. Mitch Basher, above all odds, took on both members of the sound and still picked up the victory. Now, this match... It was pretty decent. It made a lot of sense with the no DQ rule as Bobby Adams was just a pain in the ass throughout this entire match. And without Crowley there being the difference maker, you know, it also made sense for Bobby Adams to be out there since, you know, George Rashwood in character wouldn't want to be in an ODQ match one-on-one with Mitch Basher. Essentially, this match wasn't billed as a two-on-one match, but it sort of was. It was kind of a two-on-one match with a no-DQ stipulation. Obviously, Mitch Basher did his best to take out Bobby Adams at every opportunity, which was great to see. However, the match was... It was a little bit slower than I anticipated and maybe went on a little bit too long for a no-DQ match. There was a lot of kind of down spots and although selling makes sense in storyline, I feel like you expect a little bit more chaos in an ODQ kind of hardcore match. And it might have been nice to hear some some loud noises from like the cookie sheets or anything like that, like loud crashes from the ladder just to get the audience involved a little bit more since a lot of the shots were, were quite quiet. And maybe that was emphasized by just how quiet it was in the Watlington Village Hall that day. Um, it just didn't feel like it had that much impact, but I like the story. Obviously, Mitch Basher hasn't been pinned in over a year. It might be coming up to two years now. I don't know. And of course, the sound of the current tag team champions putting together a tournament. So neither of those two guys are doing kind of tag team matches at the moment. So it makes sense to put them in a different type of match until the the tournament is finished. And God knows how long that tournament's going to go on for. And of course, We also had the story of whenever Rashwood's out there, Bobby Adams is always going to follow around like a little lost sheep and help out wherever he can. But then later on, Bobby Adams comes out for a match and where's George Rashwood? Nowhere to be seen. So I'm liking what they're sprinkling in there. And they did quite a few nice little fun spots as well. I liked it when the sound collided into each other. Then George Rashwood's head went into Bobby Adams' nether region. I thought that was great. I think the crowd really liked that as well. I like the suplexes on the outside. Real high impact moves there. And, you know, you're not going to murder your opponent with that as well. And, of course, the finish I thought was really cool as well. That kind of quick, swift Sister Abigail onto the chair. I quite like the ladder spot they did in the corner. Although... 
I'm not really sure it had sort of the the complete desired effect that it probably should have. I think those moves are always really, really difficult when you have a person and a ladder and the ladder needs to behave. It, it needs to balance. And then you've got somebody coming off the top rope and things are shaking and you've got a double foot stomp and stuff, but you don't want to go through your opponent and absolutely kill them. But then you also sort of had Bobby Adams on the floor holding the arms of Mitch Basher. So you didn't really get that kind of impact. And I know it makes total sense for Bobby Adams to hold down the shoulders and hold down the arms of Mitch Basher. I just think maybe it would have been better if Bobby Adams wasn't there holding the arms and then Mitch Basher could have sort of got up a little bit and then when George Rashwood came down with the foot stomps, Mitch Basher could have then just kind of clattered into that ladder and made the ladder fall to the ground, creating that little bit more of noise, making it look more like a kind of a car wreck kind of situation. But, you know, I think the boys put in a lot of effort for this match and I think they did exactly what they needed to do. The boys didn't need to go out there and kill themselves. It was a Sunday afternoon. It wasn't exactly a packed out show. I think they did just enough to put over the fact that it was an ODQ match. They got the chairs involved, they got the ladders involved, which is always a cool visual. We got those big ladders. We got those big yellow ladders as well. And there was a second ladder. I don't think it really did anything. It was just kind of there randomly. It was a little bit of a red herring or a, a yellow herring because they only used the one ladder. They only used the chair. I, I really like the bit when um, Mitch Basher got George Rashwood in that chair trolley, just started carting him around the Watlington Village Hall. I thought that was really good, really entertaining, asking the fans to slap him, getting them involved, keeping him there, which was <laughs> it's quite a difficult thing. And I guess that was just the, the theme throughout this entire event. We talked about it earlier. It's just, it's just people being there at the Wellington show and just watching the show, not really interacting, not really clapping, not really cheering, not really chanting, just watching the show, which is, which is fine. It was a Sunday afternoon. We're going to let you guys off. But you know, when we come back for the Wesleyan show this Saturday, we want you there. We want you to just scream till your lungs get sore, but we'll deal with that when it comes to it. But then, you know, in terms of the match, any time Mitch Basher, he, he would do what Jaden Scar was doing earlier. Any time that he thought the, the, the crowd was dipping a little bit, he would just turn around and just say, are you ready for this? Or come on, come on, slap Rashwood's titties. And that's just enough to kind of keep the crowd going. And I think this match was, it was in the right spot. Third, they could go into the interval, kind of clean up all the toys afterwards. And it made sense to come after the disqualification in the second match as well. So after we cleaned up and put away the toys, people had a little bit of a time to grab a drink and chill out for a little bit. Then we went into the second half of the show after the interval, and then we kicked off with the Limitless Championship match. Bobby Adams, the challenger for the Falling Star Wrestling Limitless Championship, came out. After we'd just seen him in the previous match, he was looking to become two-belt Bobby. He was going up against the immovable, the impossible, the indestructible, the unkillable Kung Fu Vampire Furio. Furio comes down to the ring with evil intentions, throwing his Limitless Championship into the middle of the ring with disregard. The two stare at each other as the referee picks up the belt and shows the prize up for grabs at Watlington. Furio, the fighting champion, puts his belt on the line and the two start circling each other, trying to feel each other out in this early stages as it's going to be the technician versus the vampiric striker. The two lock up. Furio took Adams to the corner. Referee Ash Bash asks Furio to break the hold as Adams was on the rope. Furio puts out his arm and the two go into a knuckle lock. Furio rolls backwards, putting Adams in a top wrist lock. Adams then reverses into a schoolboy pin, but Furio rolls backwards into a short arm scissor. They go back and forth, but Adams gets his foot on the bottom rope and Ash Bash asks Furio to relinquish the hold once again. A nice bit of feeling out process in the early stages of this limitless title match. Furio then goes for a waist lock, grabs a full Nelson, spins around into a front chance 
accessory, lands the snapmare, and then grabs the left arm of Bobby Adams. He twists it around and tries to wrap up the limbs of Adams, but Adams then grabs Furio's legs and puts him into a knee lock in the middle of the ring. Furio then grabs around the neck of Adams, who tries to create separation. Furio seemingly on top in the early stages of this match. They then separate again. The pair lock up once again. Furio goes for a head and arm lock, but Adams reverses into a judo throw. Furio grabs a headlock and Adams rolls out. Furio grabs the legs and Adams rolls through and follows up with a headlock. Furio got to his feet, took Adams to the rope, sends him off, and then lands a jumping drop kick right into the midsection of Bobby Adams. Furio then grabs the front chancery and Adams spins out and hits a backstabber onto Furio's arm. Not seen that before, targeting the left arm of the Kung Fu vampire, Bobby Adams. He's kind of known for that cross arm breaker and manipulating joints of his opponents. He grabs Furio's arms in a hammerlock and thrusts him into the top turnbuckle. Furio takes a breath on the outside and uh, he grabs his left injured arm. Bobby Adams knows he can't win the title on the outside. So he goes after Furio on the outside, wrenching on his left arm, pushing him into the post and slamming his head into the ring canvas. But then Furio turns around and lights up the chest of Bobby Adams and sends him into the middle of the ring. Furio still favoring that left arm as he gets back into the ring. Bobby Adams just grabs that arm, puts it between his legs, trying to snap it. And then he goes for the pinfall. But Furio kicks out looking like a wounded animal right now with Bobby Adams taking control of this match, which is not a sentence I thought I would hear right about now. Bobby Adams was, he's just grabbing hold of that left shoulder, kicking and punching and stomping, trying to wear down the shoulder of Furio. Furio retreats to the corner, but then lights Adams up with a couple of shots. He sends him into the corner and a couple of shoulder thrusts, and it looks like it hurts Furio's shoulder. So instead of using his arms, Furio uses his legs and kicks Bobby Adams in the midsection, then lifting him up to the top rope. Furio's thinking of a high-risk maneuver, but he takes too long, and Adams grabs his arm and puts him in a cross-arm breaker over the ropes an illegal maneuver referee ash bash has to administer the count and Fiero lands in the middle of the ring while Bobby Adams is on the outside. Adams then slings himself from the outside in and hits that slingshot spear. And the referee only counts to two. Fiero gets his shoulder up. Adams then locks in a submission on Fiero, going for the short arm scissor. And then the hammerlock trying to get Fiero to tap. But Fiero makes his way to his feet and Adams goes for the kick. Fiero catches it and does that lovely step over spinning heel kick. Looked like Furio's going to be back in this match. The two separate. They go to the corners. Furio comes in with uh, two right arm clotheslines, cooking on gas. He sends Bobby Adams in again, but Adams holds onto the ropes, reverses Furio twice. Furio comes in with a rolling clothesline, a la Conan, and Adams crashes to the mat once again. Furio takes Adams to the corner, runs his head into the top turnbuckle before doing it again and then picking Bobby Adams up and nailing him with a side breaker on the knee. Furio desperately points to the top rope, which is kind of unusual for him. He normally doesn't gesture and he normally doesn't go to the top rope. He climbs to the top rope. He jumps off trying to attack Bobby Adams, but Adams lands his knees into Furio's arms and then he rings up the cross arm breaker trying to get Furio to tap. Bobby Adams won't relent. He's trying to make the Kung Fu Vampire tap out to win this Limitless Championship. Adams keeps wrenching on Furio's arms, managing to unclasp the fingers of Furio, but Furio scrambles to the bottom rope, gets his foot on the bottom rope, and the referee has to break the hold once again. Adams is furious. He grabs Furio again, ringing his arm around, looking for that cross arm breaker again. Furio pushes him back. Adams comes in for the spear, but Furio grabs him and nails the Impaler DDT. Adams is on Dream Street in the middle of the ring, and Furio calculatingly lines up a kick to the head 
And that was all she wrote for Bobby Adams. Furio retains the Falling Star Wrestling Limitless Championship in the opening match of the second half in Watlington. And I was there for this second half. I was in the crowd. I watched the match and I enjoyed the match. And although I think Furio has done a little bit too much, he's now kind of fully transitioned into a kind of pure baby face for the crowd. And, you know, I don't really see any signs of him being a heel at the moment. He's selling and gesturing like a baby face and he doesn't do too much kind of snarling and, and cheating and stuff like that. So I think it's fair to say that Furio is probably a hundred percent baby face right now, which isn't a bad thing. I like baby face Furio, but it does require someone, a heel, to put some kind of heat on him to create that interesting match. And I thought Bobby Adams did incredibly well in the match and actually looked like a legitimate threat to Furio as well. You know, he made Furio look weaker and vulnerable, which is which is unusual since Furio's been on a tear for the past year or so, decimating his opponents. In previous matches, he would just kind of cackle after chopping his opponents and then destroy them. But in this match, he was selling his injuries. He was showing a different side to his character. And this could be a good thing for Furio to have a big babyface run, take on all the big heels, as I think it could give him more sympathy and add a little bit more to his character. He can add more gestures in there, a little bit more grunting to his matches to, to get the crowd and get them reacting and stuff. And overall, I, I, I like the match and I thought it was a good opportunity for Furio to, to showcase his babyface character. There was a time where he was just kind of towards the end of the match, he was like rolling around and grunting. And I like that as well, because I think people can relate to that because Furio, he's not a very vocal character. He doesn't talk a lot. He doesn't normally wince in pain, but I think because Bobby Adams was so relentless on that arm, it kind of showed cracks in that sort of indestructible thing coming through. So I like it when Furio makes noises and I think the crowd like it too, because you could see that they were, they were reacting every time he would kind of you know, sell his arm and he'd be like, and then kind of people would be like, yeah, Furio, Furio. And you could see the, the selling and the pain on his face. And I quite like it sometimes when it looks like he's enjoying the pain as well. It's, it's kind of this crazy maniacal thing. You don't know what's going on in the Kung Fu vampire's head. It's difficult for people to understand what emotion Furio is, is having at that particular time. But yeah, I like it when he grunts. I think the finish was all right. I think maybe they could have finished on the Impaler DDT, but you know, the sidekick to the head was a, was a nice little finish there. It's still sometimes a little bit flat, but I don't know whether that was because we were in this hall at this time. The crowd wasn't particularly energetic on this, on this night. And you know, it's not a bad thing not to have a crowd crazy every night, but Sometimes when you have a finish like that, it just feels slightly flat with a kick to the head and not that big high impact move with a big slam and you hear the the crashing of the of the ring and stuff like that. But, you know, the kick works for Furo's character because, well, he's the Kung Fu vampire. Why wouldn't he kick people's heads off if that's in his repertoire? And it's kind of nice that we're seeing a different Furio. So maybe we need some more moves to go along with that. He did the rolling clothesline, thought that was cool. He's starting to do that step over spinning heel kick. That's wicked. The Impaler DDT as well. All good stuff from Furio. And um, in terms of what Bobby Adams did in the match, I thought his mat wrestling style was great. He's done two matches in a row now where he's actually kind of taken it to the mat and really shown that he's living up to his nickname, which is the the technician. He's a ring technician. He's a, he's a very mat style based wrestler, especially in that match with Jack Landers that he had at West Lynn. And then in this match as well, um, I didn't see 
as much selling as, as I'd like to from Bobby Adams as well. I mean, he'd just been kind of battered and, and crashed around by Mitch Basher in that no DQ match. He, he did get suplexed on the outside on the floor. So I didn't really see too much selling from Bobby Adams. So I don't know if that was dismissed a little bit or whether that was just kind of put in the back burner and we didn't really kind of revisit that. I, I, I might have liked to, to seen him acknowledge that, that the back was hurt. Maybe that could have factored into why he couldn't put Furio away. He's going for the cross arm breaker and then, you know, his back twinges or something like that. But, you know, when you look at the match from bell to bell, I don't think it mattered too much because, you know, Bobby Adams was in control for the most of the match and Furo made his comebacks and, and picked up a win in the end. So all in all, I thought it was a great way to open up the second half. I rather enjoyed it, watched it live. I thought it was even better live than it was watching it back on tape. And then next up, we went into match number five. We have a triple threat match, the fifth match here at Watlington. And out comes the playmaker, Tommy Lawrence, with his new disposition. He comes out very angry, snarling, wanting the people to appreciate him. However, they do not appreciate him. He says he is perfection personified and he has yet to show it all in a falling star wrestling ring. He walks around the ring and demands the crowd's adulation, but all they give him are boos, jeers, and just a general bit of stick. Next to the ring comes the sassy bear, Clarence. He comes down to a massive reaction. As soon as the music hits, careless whisper rings out through the speakers at Wallington, and everybody jumps to their feet, swinging their arms in the air. And then Clarence asks the crowd if they're ready to get sassy. And I took a quick poll, and 100% of the people at Wallington says yes. They do want to get sassy right now. And then finally, the third person in this triple threat match is the number one contender for the FSW Heavyweight Championship. Jack Landers, the spring-heeled one, comes down draped in pink and violet, looking great with fiery red hair and fired up for this triple threat match. These are the types of matches I think Jack really thrives in as well. So in the early stages of the match, it looks like it's going to be Jack Landers and Tommy Lawrence. They're going to work together and go up against Sassy, who tries for the double clothesline early on. But Landers and Lawrence both dropkick Sassy out of the ring. Then they look at each other. Jack asks Tommy, what's happened to you, man? What's happened to you right now? Tommy Lawrence responds with, I've reached a new level. I'm better than you. I know I've always been and I just needed the character change. So he puts out his fist and Jack bumps it. And there's a little second there where it looks like Jack and Tommy are going to kind of teen up. But then Tommy comes in with the kick and kicks Landers square in the gut and then works on Landers in the corner with big forearms. He then sends Jack Landers into the corner. Jack leaps up and rolls through with a big cartwheel. Lawrence charges. Jack ducks. He leaps and does another leap and then nails Tommy Lawrence with a giant jumping hurricanrana. Tommy Lawrence is reeling and then goes to the corner in desperation. Jack follows this up with a giant drop kick right across the chest of Tommy Lawrence. Then Landers rings up the arm in the corner, sends Lawrence in, but Landers switches and Jack goes up and over, backflips into the middle of the ring, lands on his feet and nails a giant power slam on Tommy Lawrence. He goes for the pin and is only able to get the two count. Sassy Bear is on the outside catching his breath from taking that double drop kick. He rolls back into the ring as Jack Landers looks like he's lining up a dive to the outside. Sassy Bear comes in with a clothesline and nails a giant hip toss on Jack Landers and then follows this up with a scoop slam and Jack is down on the mat once again. Sassy Bear follows up with a third and final attack with a giant back sent on splash. Landers goes to the corner and Sassy comes in and says let's 
get sassy and crushes Jack Landers in the corner with a giant avalanche. Jack falls to the bottom rope and sassy asks, shall I? Now sassy hits Jack Landers with a Bronco Buster thrusting his pelvis into Landers face. Sassy Bear cooking on gas right now. Looks like he's trying to finish this one. He lifts Jack Landers up onto his shoulders, looking like he's going to go for that running power slam. But Tommy Lawrence comes in, drop kicks the knee of Sassy Bear, causing him to drop Landers and crash to the mat. Lawrence then follows up with the Capoeira kick and then goes after Jack Landers' eyes, raking them as Jack retreats to the corner. Lawrence then nails Landers with a forearm to the back. Landers is sent to the corner and Tommy follows it up, getting thrown over the top rope. He lands on the apron, hits Jack in the gut and springs into the ring with a twisting, vaulting giant cutter. Landers almost falls out of the ring but stays in. Tommy Lawrence can't get the pinfall and then he turns his attention to the sassy bear. Clarence is in the corner and rails Tommy Lawrence with a giant chop, then chokes Sassy on the ropes. Landers tries to get back into the match, but Tommy Lawrence lands a beautiful front drop kick on Jack Landers, who goes tumbling to the ground on the outside. Inside the ring, it's just Sassy and Lawrence in the middle of the ring. Sassy tries to come back with a couple of elbows to Lawrence's gut. Lawrence shows his power and actually lifts up the Sassy Bear Clarence and slams him on the canvas and then just sort of sits on top of him and goes for the cocky pin. Jack tries to get back into the match yet again, but Tommy won't let him back in. He knows that Jack Landers is a big threat in this match. Tommy Lawrence then ascends to the top rope, but Jack Landers runs in, leaps off of the back of Clarence onto the second rope. He grabs Tommy Lawrence in the front chancery. Looks like he's going to do a giant suplex, but the sassy bear then leaps underneath Jack Landers and goes in for the massive doomsday suplex. All three men are just crumpled in a mess. It's like a car crash in the middle of the ring in this triple threat match. Clarence then comes back, lays out Lawrence with a clothesline, Landers with a clothesline, Lawrence with another clothesline, Landers with another, another clothesline, Lawrence and Landers then try to double team the sassy bear but Clarence hops up to the second rope and delivers a double back elbow strike from the second rope he then picks up Landers and nails him with an awesome looking gut wrench powerbomb but Tommy Lawrence won't let the sassy bear pick up the win as he breaks up the cover Tommy Lawrence then picks up Jack Landers hoists him up and Jack lands on his feet and then crumples to the ground and goes to the outside Jack then slips underneath jumps up Hits a big jumping spin kick and Tommy Lawrence falls to the outside of the ring. Jack Landers climbs up to the second rope, goes after Sassy, jumps over, hits the ropes, ducks a clothesline and then hits that handspring stunner really quickly. Jack then goes up to the top rope, hits a giant swanton bomb on the Sassy Bear Clarence. The referee counts to three and that's all she wrote in this triple threat match. Jack Landers picks up the win while Tommy Lawrence is on the outside and can't quite make it in to break up the pinfall. And... I thought this match was great. I thought all three guys did really well because everybody had a chance to shine. Nobody looked like they were selling for too long and everybody got their stuff in, which is especially good in a triple threat match. Just having that balance is always a really difficult thing to do. You don't want it to be anchored to one person too heavily. It wasn't just the Jack Landers show. Obviously, Tommy Lawrence got an opportunity to shine early on with his new heel gimmick, which is nice to see, especially with his entrance. They had a nice little running spot at the beginning. Sassy also got all of his good moves in there. I think it was cool to see him in there with two high flyers and actually keeping up with them as well. 
There was never a dull moment in this match at all and everything made sense. When somebody was on the outside, you didn't really notice too much because they weren't out there for too long. There were points where Jack was on the outside and, you know, he didn't take a big bump. So the smart thing was Jack would try try and climb up to the apron. Then Tommy Lawrence would do the smart thing and just kick him down, then waiting for his spot to come back in again. All three men, I thought, worked really well together. It was nice to see Sassy pull off some power moves as well. I thought that gut wrench power bomb on Jack Landers looked spectacular. Landers uh, picked up the win with the handspring stunner and the big swanton bomb off the top rope as well. Awesome action. The match was was great from start to finish as well. Um, I think it was what was needed, especially after the previous match, which was a bit more map-based and character-based. This was just sort of an all-out, balls-to-the-wall, triple-threat match. And I thought it was a great match for the crowd to watch. It showcased the athleticism of all three wrestlers. It provided extra momentum for Jack Landers, especially heading into his challenge. Uh, to Cali Gray for the Falling Star Wrestling Heavyweight Championship at Heachim on the 29th. We'll talk about that later on as well. And they all worked together really, really well. There was nothing that looked awkward. I liked the double-decker spot there. When uh, Lawrence hopped up to the top rope, Sassy Bear's on his hands and knees. Didn't expect that. Jack runs in, jumps off the back of Sassy Bear, lands on the top rope, executes that suplex on Tommy. There was a moment where I thought, oh, are they going to be able to nail it? I don't know. It looked a bit shaky there for a second, but everybody stood strong. Landers managed to clasp onto Tommy Lawrence. Looked like he was going to execute that superplex. Then Sassy Bear comes underneath and hits a big powerbomb on Jack. You know, it was a cool three-way spot. It's always nice to have that sort of three-way spot in a triple threat match as well that includes everybody. And I just thought it was pieced together really nicely. Had a really good flow to it. And I think that was the key for this match as well, especially following the previous match and heading into the main event as well, which we knew was going to be a crazy match as well. They did exactly what they needed to do. It was a big win for Jack Landers, an unfortunate loss for Sassy Bear, but... I know he's going to be able to brush it off. He's he's lost to somebody that's on an absolute rampage right now. And I mean, technically, Tommy Lawrence lost the match, but he wasn't involved in the pinfall at all. So I don't think this damages Tommy Lawrence as well. Just, um, just a great triple threat match at Wallington. Treated the audience to a really good kind of high-flying, action-packed wrestling match. Loved it. Then we went on to the main event for the evening, the scheduled match. The Falling Star Wrestling Heavyweight Championship match. Now, I did say on last week's podcast that this was going to be a non-title match, but it seems like Cali Gray, no matter who's challenging him for a match in Heacham, he's always going to put his title on the line. So the challenger comes down to the ring, making his way back to Falling Star Wrestling for the first time in a number of months, maybe even a year, I'm not sure. The exuberant orange and purple afro-headed KM Lane comes down cool as a cucumber. The fans here at Watlington are hyped. And then, of course, we had... The Falling Star Wrestling Heavyweight Champion, the reigning and defending champion, Cali Gray. The Black Rose comes down to the ring to giant applause, FSW title in tow. Cali Gray hands over the belt to the referee who shows it to KM Lane. And after conducting his final checks, the referee rings the bell for this final contest. The pair shake hands and they go straight into the action. The pair start off with a strong collar and elbow tie-up, taking Cali Gray into the corner. Cali Gray switches it, and then the referee has to split them up. This time, KM Lane grabs a headlock on Cali Gray. Cali shoots off KM Lane and is met by a shoulder tackle in the middle of the ring. Could KM Lane become the new champion? Nope. It was just a two-count for KM Lane. Lane grabs a chin lock, trying to wear down Cali Gray in the early stages of this match. 
The referee asks Callie if he wants to quit, but Callie is not going to give up that easily in the early stages of this contest. He then shoots off KM Lane, goes for the sleep, leaps over KM Lane, sleeps again, and then crashes into KM Lane with a big back elbow. Callie Gray then charges at KM Lane in the corner, hitting him with a big kick followed up by a double stomp to the midsection of KM Lane. Callie Gray follows this up with a pinfall attempt, but is only able to get the two count. KM Lane is then in the corner. Callie Gray comes in to claim him, but KM Lane throws Callie into the corner and lights him up with a couple of knife edge chops. Callie tries to create separation, but KM Lane catches him with a suplex and only able to get the one count. Callie Lynn lands a crushing European uppercut and wraps KM Lane up in the middle of the ring with an octopus stretch. He wrenches on the right arm of KM Lane, who looks like he's in a real predicament here. Callie Gray pulls back on the arm, looking to dislocate the shoulder of KM Lane, who's just wrapped up in the middle of this ring. His legs are trapped, his head's trapped, and his arms are trapped as well. I don't know how he's able to get out of this move. KM Lane then manages to slip his leg and head out of the grasp of Callie Gray. He flips backwards, lands on his feet, and then nails Callie Gray with a kick. He follows up with an arm drag and a scoop slam. KM Lane looks to take some high-risk maneuvers, going for the lion salt but lands on his feet. Callie Gray manages to evade and then he's met in the corner with a forearm by KM Lane. Callie Gray steps aside and KM Lane comes in with a boot. KM goes up to the top, rolls through, goes up for the top rope for a springboard crossbody on the champion. KM Lane in full control right now but is only able to get the two count as Callie Gray kicks out. He looks surprised. KM Lane here as quick as a hiccup here in this championship match in the main event at Wallington. Callie Gray is then sent to the corner but hops over. However, KM Lane meets him with a triangle drop kick off the middle rope and Callie Gray tumbles to the outside. KM Lane then meets Callie on the outside and they duke it out in front of the audience there, both trying to gain the upper hand. KM Lane clatters Callie Gray's head off the apron, rolls him into the ring and follows up with a nice back suplex and a pin attempt. But it's only able to get the two count. KM Lane is really looking forward to win this title now, but can't keep Callie Gray's shoulders. For the three count at this stage of the match, he tries to hook in a suplex, but the pair go back and forth. KM goes up, but it's blocked. Callie goes up, but it's blocked. They go back and forth, but Callie rolls through with a quick cradle pin and only able to get the two count. He sidesteps KM Lane and Callie meets him towards the ropes with a big knee and hits a backbreaker, followed by his patented knee breaker with a suplex. However, KM Lane hoists Callie Gray up and over and nails a giant brain buster and Callie Gray goes splat into the mat. KM Lane follows up with a pinfall attempt, but Callie Gray kicks out at the count of two. KM Lane then nails a running bulldog on Callie Gray and then goes to the second rope and tries for the lion salt once again, but Callie Gray gets his legs up and then KM Lane clatters onto the knees of Callie Gray. Callie's holding his knees in pain. KM's holding his stomach and both men are on the deck. The audience tried to get behind both men, but KM Lane is first to make it to his feet or low. He falls to his knees. Callie hits KM with some shots to the gut and chops but KM Lane switches Cali's German suplex attempt finally Cali hits that German suplex followed by a kick to the head and then goes back to the suplex onto the knee Cali follows up with a pinfall attempt but again is only able to get the two count Cali Gray's last move in his arsenal is the cemetery driver but KM Lane is just dead at this point Cali Gray can't lift him up KM Lane hoists him up Cali rolls through and KM Lane hits a giant clothesline through the roll through on the pinfall attempt there
there on Cali Gray. Both men are down, but KM Lane finally gets enough energy to get up selling the back and the gut. Cali Gray is poised for the lion salt once again, but Cali catches him, dumps him out of the ring, and then follows up with a giant suicide dive. KM Lane hits the ground hard, and then Cali Gray sends him back into the ring, goes up to the top rope. Cali Gray jumps up and leaps off the top rope, but is caught by a big spinning wheel kick into the face from KM Lane. KM Lane then follows up with a pinfall attempt, only gets the two. Neither man is gaining full advantage in this back and forth match, and the action is red hot. KM Lane ascends to the top rope, but he's met there by Cali Gray, who delivers a big knee shiver. The two men tussle on the top rope, and Cali Gray is thinking about a giant superplex, but KM Lane holds on. KM battles and fights and strikes and slips through and hoists Cali Gray up onto his shoulders, and he absolutely levels Cali Gray with a giant electric chair driver, causing Cali to go face first into the mat. KM Lane follows up with a massive springboard lion salt and finally he nails it. Can he get the victory here? No, he's only able to get the two count. KM Lane is throwing absolutely everything and the kitchen sink at Cali Gray, but Cali Gray just keeps kicking out. KM slips under the bottom rope and tries to get the audience behind him. He looks like he's going to go for some sort of springboard maneuver here. He waits for Cali Gray to spring up. He springs up to the top, but he's met with a knee to the face in the middle of the ring. KM Lane crumbles to the ground and Cali Gray crumbles on top of him. He manages to drape his arm across KM Lane, but he's only able to get the two count this match continues. They look like they've both been through the wars here. Each man just keeps getting up and striking the other one and neither one can get the advantage. KM Lane fires up, comes back with one of his own and they're just pummeling each other in the middle of the ring with chomps, forearm strikes, kicks. Cali kicks KM Lane in the head and then kicks him in the knee. KM Lane comes back with lefts, rights, kicks and even a headbutt. Goes for a drop kick but Cali Gray moves out of the way. Cali goes for a knee and KM Lane goes for a springboard. Cali meets him on the top and nails a giant springboard sunset flip powerbomb. Crazy action going on here. Cali Gray climbs to the top rope and KM Lane doesn't know what's going on here. Cali Gray nails the Meteora or the double knees to the face. Cali Gray then follows up with the double unhook cemetery driver causing KM Lane's head to go directly into the mat. And still, your falling star wrestling heavyweight champion, the Black Rose, Cali Gray. Whew, I mean, wow, what a match that was. Just an incredible performance by two absolute super athletes. Obviously, we know what Cali Gray can do. He can go out there and just tear it down each and every night. Each time he steps into a falling star wrestling ring, he absolutely tears it up with these long, lengthy, arduous, battle-hardening falling star wrestling championship title matches. He's done it for the past six months or so, and every time you think that maybe he's going to slip up, he manages to come through. And of course, KM Lane was just a fierce competitor on this particular evening. He gave it everything he could, and then some... Oh boy, Cali Gray is a hard man to put down. This match was just pure competition across every level. Both men knew each other inside and out. You could tell that throughout the entire match with each man going for a move, then it being reversed and countered and then reversed and countered again. They were going back and forth with the suplexes. Cali Gray trying to land his signature moves, goes for the backbreaker, then the suplex on the knee, but then KM Lane reverses that. KM goes up for the lion salt. Cali Gray moves out of the way, goes up for the lion salt. Cali Gray dumps him out. KM Lane goes for the lion salt again. Cali gets his legs up. It's just madness. These guys know each other 
intimately and you could really tell it through this entire match. They were playing a game of chess and they were both either like two or three steps ahead of each other. And that was possibly, possibly to the detriment of both of these guys because they put in so much effort in that match and it was quite long. Let's say, I don't know, like 20 minutes from bell to bell, 23 minutes bell to bell. And I watched the match live and I was just marveling at their athletic endeavor. It was amazing. It was spectacular, but it was difficult to get through because there wasn't that atmosphere and they didn't really create that atmosphere that got you on the edge of your seat. And unfortunately due to booking, we all know that Jack Landers is the number one contender and they cleared that up afterwards as well. They did a little promo segment, but deep down, I think we all knew the audience all knew that Callie Gray wasn't going to lose this one. KM Lane hasn't been in Fallen Star Wrestling for a good number of months, maybe a year up to this point. And I don't think people could see him coming in and taking that title away from Callie Gray. So I think people realized that as well. They were always expecting Callie Gray to win, which is fine because they still put on an amazing match. But when you strip it back and ask if the match was great, well, yeah, it was brilliant. It was amazing. They put so much into it and got a lot out of it. It's just, I wish they had performed in front of an audience that was red hot and ready to go because there were some near falls in there that were executed spectacularly. And I can imagine how the crowd would react cheering for everything. When Callie Gray hits a move, then KM Lane hits another big impact move like that moonsault, the lion salt or the triangle drop kick. And then Callie kicks out at the last minute because there was a lot of near falls in this match. There were a lot of near falls in this match. And because it felt like it went on for a long time, you did feel a little bit like that every time it kicks out. It was a little bit like a WrestleMania when people are just kicking out of finishes at the last minute, but you know, it didn't mean that it wasn't great. It was a match that on any other indie wrestling show, any other indie wrestling promotion with people there raring for it, standing on their feet and clapping and chanting, like it would get a this is awesome chant because it had all of the elements to make it a five-star match. It just... It just didn't resonate with the crowd. And I, it, it, this wasn't the only match. Every match suffered with that a little bit tonight because everyone wanted to put in so much effort and they wanted to thrill and excite the crowd. However, it, we talked about it. It was a Sunday afternoon. People have probably just come along for an afternoon's entertainment. They probably just had their big Sunday lunches. So, you know, even though Callie Gray and KM Lane tore the house down, I feel like there was a few too many near falls. The match went on a little bit too long. And there were a few too many times where like, is he going to reverse it? Is he going to reverse it? Oh, he's reversed it. And I think that made the match feel slightly tiresome. Like there was no point where neither man got the advantage over the other one. So there was no real heat. There was no real shine. It was just kind of like, you do a move. I do a move. You do a move. I do a move. You do a move. Oh, I'll do another move. But then you do two moves to me. And it kind of went that way. And again, doesn't mean it was a bad match. It just felt like the crowd ne never really had anyone to root for. Like people love Caligray and I think people really like KM Lane. He's got such a unique look. I just, I would have liked it maybe if they'd have started off a competition, but then maybe KM Lane up the aggression a little bit more and give Caligray a couple of minutes of heat, really just to give the crowd something to, to, to gleam onto, just to really cheer for Caligray because I think they wanted to cheer for Caligray because no doubt about it, he is the greatest falling star wrestling champion in terms of the matches and the caliber of matches and the defenses that he's made. So there's no doubt that people like him. And of course, falling star wrestling as an organization is high on Cali Gray as well. But 
we also want a reason to cheer for Caligre in the match as well. Like we cheer for Caligre because we love him, but we also want something in the match as well. So it might have been nice for him to sell a little bit more, be on the back foot a little bit, but then come back with those big rousing comebacks that we know that Caligre can do because I think he's kind of been hampered ever so slightly with with his title defences because they've been against babyfaces. So he's done a lot of babyface, babyface matches. So when I think back to all the defences he's had, and I remember the one they had with Matt, well, it wasn't a defence, it's when he won the title, but that was a, a classic heel babyface match. Then I also remember the match with Jaden Scar as well, because those two, Jaden and Matt, they're such polarising characters and they allow time to build the heat and work that into a match. When in contrast, when Callie Gray wrestled Brett Semtex, it was a really back and forth match. Again, amazing match. He wrestled me. That was back and forth as well. The match he had with Mike Bird at Swanton Morley, incredible spectacle in pro wrestling. However, it was just kind of nibbles. There was no real big chunk of meat that people could take home and say, mm, that was an amazing match. Callie really came back from the dead to win this match. Instead, it was kind of like, yeah, it was tit for tat, you know, which is good for Callie to do. It's good to do that for KM Lane because I thought that KM Lane come out looking like a star. He looked like a main event worthy kind of person because I think previously in Falling Star Wrestling, KM Lane, he would come along every now and then, but he would maybe pick up a victory. He would maybe put somebody else over a bit. He was kind of in the kind of upper mid card, but I think he came out. He looked spectacular. His gear looked great. He's properly in shape. The Afro really helps him step out of uh, looking like everybody else as well. He's bright. He's exuberant. He's very athletic as well. So there's no reason that KM Lane couldn't be a standout star in Falling Star Wrestling or anywhere in the indie scene as well. So if this match did anything for either of the two guys, it definitely did more for, for KM Lane because he can take this tape and he can show it to other people and be like, what do you want me to do? Look at me. I can do high flying stuff. You want me to do a triangle drop kick? You want me to do a lion salt springboard move? Yeah, cool. I can do that. Check out my highlight reel. You want me to do strikes? Yeah. Brawling the heck out of Cali Gray in this match. You want me to do more selling? Yeah, I can do that as well. So he had every individual part of the match covered and if and i'm sure it will this match goes up as a highlight reel it's going to look like a spectacular match however i'm going to come back to it it just felt a little bit too long but that's personally for me it doesn't mean the match was bad the match was great it's just attention spans on a sunday afternoon after watching five other matches just pair it back boys i know you want to go out there and just put on five-star classics. You want to do six-star Meltzer classics. You want to do Wrestling Observer five and three-quarter-star matches. But, and this isn't to say anything about Wallington, and this isn't to say anything about the Falling Star Wrestling audience, you can get so much more out of so much less. And I know you don't want to do that because I do that sometimes as well. You just want to go out there and give it 100%, 110%, 200%, 5,000%. You want to go out there and just have the best match possible but a bit more selling, put a bit more heat into it, and then that would have made that match even better from a personal standpoint. But I'm not going to say anything more about this match because I can't do the things that they do. I've wrestled Cali, and he just rinsed me for 15 minutes as well. So <laughs> I've got nothing to say about that. I don't have the lungs to be able to go through and do that kind of match. I don't have the athleticism to do what they did in that kind of match. Heck, I just, you know, I have matches with Robbie Lewis and break my shoulder. So <laughs> what am I saying in, in, in this final review? Like, I've got nothing to say other than good stuff, apart from that one little bad thing. So I'll just leave it there. 
there we have it folks, Watlington is done, all wrapped up in a nice little bow. Thanks for checking out the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast today, I really appreciate it, and I'm sure Jimmy will be back next week for all of you out there who are missing his soothing, dulcet tones. Supporting the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast is easy, just find us on your preferred podcast player and hit that subscribe button to follow along, and also leave us a nice little review. Five stars are preferred. Remember, Falling Star Wrestling is on the road this month. Hot off the heels of Watlington, we're going straight into our fight night show at the Wesleyan Sports and Social Club in Kings Lynn. That's this Saturday at the release of this episode, Saturday 18th of March. And then, one week after, Saturday 25th of March, we're heading over to Fosdyke for more Falling Star Wrestling action. With British wrestling royalty gracing us with their presence, first up, the wonder kid Johnny Storm is in action, and world of sport legend Danny Boy Collins comes back to Falling Star Wrestling, and this will be the first time he's stepped foot inside of a live wrestling ring in over a decade. We can't wait to see Johnny and Danny on the 25th. For more dates, information, and everything Falling Star Wrestling, check out our socials. It's at Falling Star Wrestling on Facebook and Instagram. Check me out if you like too. It's at PVC Pro Wrestler. Thanks again for your support. Thanks again for checking out the Falling Star Wrestling podcast today. And we can't wait to see you at a live show this month. If you can't make it, well, we'll catch you next time for another edition of the Falling Star Wrestling podcast. Bye-bye.